younger people are bringing in this moment relative to the conversations around spirituality, faith, religion, is this sense of, I'm not willing to be pigeonholed into what you have established as normative for how one ought approach belief. Mm. I love that. Like the academician in me gets very excited. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Yes, good uh, day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. Um, and as always, I'm really delighted to have today's uh, guest, who was part of my second 100-mile uh, walk, actually, a long, long time ago, seven, seven eight years ago. Um, and as usual, you know, we'll ask my guest to introduce himself. So please uh, go ahead, Theo. What a pleasure to be with you for this conversation and to all of you who are listening, we invite you to be at home right now with us as we have this a family chat. Uh, my name is Theon Johnson III, and I am calling the San Francisco Bay Area home. I hail from the state of Mississippi and am currently serving in the world in the United Methodist Church in Oakland, California. And I'm grateful to call the Bay Area home at this hour because there are so many opportunities for looking at the world differently and being on the ground in places where civic and social technological innovation, arguably even spiritual innovation, are happening. And that's actually what brought me to the Bay Area from serving at a university in Mississippi to working alongside the community in San Francisco's Tenderloin District, known as Glide Memorial Church, made famous in the film, for those who may have seen mm -hmm. it, The Pursuit of Happiness, many, many decades ago now at this point, and from serving at Glide Memorial to my current appointment, which is working alongside a congregation in North Oakland, Downs Memorial United Methodist Church. Going back to you know seven seven eight years ago, uh, you remember it's that it's been we, that long. Oh yes, my I, gosh! Yeah. <laughs> we still look the same. I know. It's but, a good uh, thing I'm only only <laughs> aged by a year and a half. <laughs> But but uh, well, you remember I, I uh, we met because I walked a hundred mile to raise awareness about hunger, poverty, and, and injustice issues. Um, but it started with with hunger, 
um, if if you would be asked to walk a hundred miles in a week, so you know fifteen twenty miles per day, uh, what is the course that you would pick? You know what what uh, yeah what what is important for you to raise awareness about and and funds? I turn on the news, open social media outlets, and so much of conversations that are happening in the United States at this moment concern violence against communities that are minority communities and the challenge of being a person who is of a minority racial ethnic identity and moving through this nation without fear of being targeted just because of how you look or how you speak or what people assume about the place from which you come, that is a cause for which I would walk 100 miles and more than once. Violence against Asian and Asian-American communities, violence against African, African-American, Black community, walking for communities that have been walked over hmm. is the cause for which I would, at this hour, lace up my shoes and get out and move 100 miles. Hmm. You know, Oakland is is a is is quite an important uh, spot. It has a lot of history, and yes. a lot of what's happening what in in Oakland uh, is looked at under a magnifying glass. And so, um, what I would like to discuss with you is, you know, when I uh, walk together with my guests, either physically or or you know, in in a, on a virtual. Uh, occasion we often talk uh, during the 100 mile walk about religion and spirituality people say well the younger generation for them religion and spirituality is very different than for the older generation others say no it's similar you know maybe only how they perceive institutionalized religion is different um, so i would like to hear from you um what do you see in your uh you know in oakland uh, in your own church, in your environment, happening with the younger generation? How do they look and how do they uh, perceive uh, religion and spirituality? Now, this is a great moment to be in the Bay Area. Again, arguably one of the most important hubs of civic, social, I would claim spiritual innovation in the nation and in the world. And to have conversations around something that is so deeply personal as well as corporate in nature is both timely and relevant as we think about how do we navigate life together in an increasingly complex, uh, multi-ethnic, multi-faith, uh, multi-political, 
soci sociological kind of economy. How do we make sense of the world in which we are navigating, and how do we do so in manners that both celebrate the unity in our diversity hmm. while steering clear of the temptation to water down the identities that people bring to the table and you know, say something as cliche as we're all the same. It's like, well, no, no, we're not. Like, and, and any attempt to say that we all are right really is a failure of imagination and fails to recognize and honor the gift of the diversity that we bring. It's like, mm. I need you to see me. And I think that's one of the great gifts that, uh, younger people are bringing in this moment relative to the conversations around spirituality, faith, religion, is this sense of, I'm not willing to be pigeonholed into what you have established as normative for how one ought approach belief. Mm. I love that. Like the academician in me gets very excited because I think that that points to something deeper than just a desire to be rebellious against uh, parents or earlier generations, but a deep desire to, to find oneself within the context of the divine economy, uh, to see oneself as a spiritual being and to be able and willing to be open to being connected to others in ways that really are authentic, uh, meaningful, and that calls people to move. Uh, I think um, that an article that was kind of shared uh, by a columnist for the Miami Herald uh, over Easter weekend is both timely and relevant. Uh, this person wrote about how it seems like the church is shrinking and mosques, synagogues, temples too, for that matter, how this reality is not breaking news. As a matter of fact, uh, so many polls have been pointing to these trends for a long time. Uh, however, there was one poll in particular, Gallup, uh, that was cited, and uh, a major milestone was noted. Uh, this poll, which has been tracking religious membership since the late 30s, 1930s, that is, um, discovered that uh, for the first time, attendance of or connection to affiliation with a religious community has dropped below half. So today, just 48% or so people currently find themselves belonging to a house of worship, whereas back then, you know, 73 plus percent belong to a house of worship or spiritual community. Hmm. Now, again, there are many reasons that folks might cite. Uh, I do think, however, that there's one uh, that was lifted in this reflection that is uh, timely. Uh, they were driven away. Folks have been driven away. Folks have, hmm. we're talking about walking. Folks have walked away <laughs> from hmm. uh, many of these institutions and of the reasons that might be cited, it ought not be lost on us. The challenge of seeing institutional religious communities as being puppets of state. And uh, I want to be clear and name that uh, while 
faith has always been related to and informed uh, politics. Uh, historically, politics have been uh, shaped by faith rather than the other way around. Faith being shaped by politics. As we look at just the most recent years um, and uh, re religious rhetoric that is deeply divisive and exclusive, we're living in a generation that's not having any of that. It's like, I'm sorry, I understand uh, the divine economy to be big and inclusive and expansive and joyous and hope-filled. And when the rhetoric is exclusive, hate-filled, and people seem to walk around like they've got, you know, lemons, you know, that they are kind of eating on 24-7. Like, who wants to be a part of that? It's like, that seems like a job. <laughs> like, that's a chore. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty awful chore, right? or at least that's what it seems like on the, on the outside. So I think that young people are deeply spiritual. I think that young people in this day and age are arguably just as, if not more, uh, spiritually inclined. What I do think, however, is that the historic institutions that have once been channels for how people experience the divine or how people understand spirituality, that those institutions are shrinking and are waning in their influence uh, in this moment. And part of it has to deal with is this community, as my great-grandmother would say, scratching where folks are itching? Hmm. Is this community speaking to what is important in my life? Is this community invested in cultivating a theology that matters? What I'm trying to say is, are hmm. we doing something that doesn't suck? Right. Let me just put it as plain as that. Mm. And and mm. I think that it's a minor miracle that folks have not walked away from belief in or trust in spirituality, especially as we look at so much harm that's been done. Uh, it speaks to, I think, the gift uh, of something bigger than ourselves and a recognition that we are deeply connected. And there's more that ties us together than that which we believe separates us. And so being engaged in that journey of figuring out, okay, who am I? And then asking the second question, who am I really? And, and then wrestling with the question of, how does my life intersect the lives of others well? And how can I use my short clock time in order to leave the world a little better than I found it? As I think about all of the major faith traditions and their emphasis on justice and caring for those who are vulnerable attending to those who are ill, providing food for those who are food insecure, 
sheltering those who know the sting of housing insecurity. For me, that just sounds like a good old practice. And if you want to slap a label on it, well, fine. But only slap a label on it if you're going to actually do what you claim to do. And I think that is the underlying Mm. challenge that many young people are sensing in some spiritual communities is the sheer hypocrisy and the failure to do what it is that the teachings that they may hold or or that they may profess actually require of them. I would like to piggyback on one statement that you were quoting your grandmother. So how do you ensure that you scratch where it's itching? You know, I really appreciate the question. Uh, One of the things that comes to mind as I think about my great-grandmother's statement, question, is the importance of movement and how I always find myself asking the question, am I moving among people? Am I moving with people? Am I opening myself uh, to be both formed, informed, uh, and even transformed uh, by those around me? When I think about that very nature, I can't help but think about institutions and how institutions, uh, by virtue of what they are, exist for self-preservation. They are kind of concerned with, at the end of the day, how might we live beyond now? And in a real sense, So many of our historic faith communities, religious home bases, have acted as institutions within their own right. Uh, Places where people come to the institution, you come in, others are drawn in. We seek to bring people into the fold. And uh, that is a good thing on one hand, so I'm not mocking it. I think a challenge uh, to uh, that nature is that when I think about the church in particular, Hmm. when it was instituted, it was not the institution. It began as a movement and moving among people. And I think that that is one of the most important gifts for this moment is sitting with the question, how am I making myself available to be proximate to people uh, as opposed to waiting for people to come to me? So I'm always seeking to go out, to look out, to explore opportunities for partnerships, to be engaged in building relationships. And again, not transactional relationships, right? Which we know is Mm. 
is a huge challenge uh, in so many places and spaces. And folks can smell when you're trying to sell them something from a mile away. Am I right or am I right? We all know that. We know that mm. feeling of there's an ask that's coming that is potentially related not so much to um, any type of edification on my own end, but perhaps about institutional survival. And hmm. I think that making ourselves available to be informed by people, to hear their stories, to hear their joys, to learn about what causes grief, anxiety in these moments. What are the hopes and dreams of our young people that requires both a willingness to ask the question uh, as well as a willingness to listen to the responses. And that active listening, that process of inquiring is only possible when we're close enough to engage. So am I scratching where people are itching? that question translates into, am I moving among people? Hmm. And, and I would like to explain to the listeners because, you know, our the podcast, although you and I are able to see each other when we speak, the podcast will not, uh, you know, will be audio only. So I would like to explain to the listeners is that when Theon is explaining about moving and movement, his whole body is moving and his hands are are, are shown as well. So that's kind of I interesting. This no, no, this actually I was thinking, oh, this this particular episode <laughs> should be a video podcast. Um, I would like to piggyback on 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 what you said in terms of movement and you know, institutional survival. You know, you know that I work for, for an NGO and actually we are celebrating our 75th anniversary uh, this year. Um, but one of the questions that we are asking ourselves when we are looking back at 75 years, how did we do in terms of mm -hmm. our activities around or in activities around racial justice? And... Um, yeah, I would like to ask you, you know, if you look at uh, the NGO in uh, the U.S. Um, and its role and their role in, around racial justice, you know, if you it would give them a grade um, for their activities in the last 75 years. And what are your reflections around that? And I, I do realize that, of course, it's difficult to generalize because there are, you know, much younger uh, NGOs out there. Uh, but the sector as a whole, you know, um, how do you think they have done and what should they do better, um, you know, for the next 25 years? I'm not saying to 75 years. Let's <laughs> focus sure, sure. a bit more short term. <laughs> I, I will tell you, it's a great joy and great memories of spending time, for example, in the, at the United Nations and being engaged with the Church Center for the UN. So this hub of where so many institutions that seek to help us move differently in the world that we might 
engage others and that we might bring along the work of creating a more equitable and just, loving and hopeful society. Hmm. I am always struck that even in those best of efforts and intentions, I ask myself the question, who's here? And so while there is a temptation or while there's a possibility, should I say, to assign a a grade to how good NGOs are doing or how uh, there are opportunities to be strengthened in the work around um, racial justice and advocacy. I would simply ask if I were to line up all of the NGO executive leadership, just in the most historic and uh, significant in terms of both focus, substance, lifespan, our NGOs, and say, introduce me to your leadership. What would I see? Mm-hmm. Like for me, the NGOs can answer that all, the question themselves uh, because who I would see tells me how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a good opportunity in this moment as we have found ourselves wrestling with a global pandemic uh, to reckon with the reality uh, that there are so many aspects of pre-pandemic life uh, to which we ought not seek to return. There's a lot of talk around, oh, and we can't wait to get back to normal, get back to normal, get back to normal. Well, anyone who's been on the undercurrents of history knows that there was nothing normal about the normal that many people are trying to get back to in the first place, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have to ask ourselves, what do we mean by normal in that case? And for whom does normal benefit? Like, who does normal serve? And how might we instead take a look at the opportunities that this moment affords to overhaul vision, mission, values, leadership, representation. Because if there's anything that we've learned during this season, uh, it's that people who perhaps were once thought to be unable or perhaps not the best fit for helping lead us uh, in institutions have turned out to be the very people who have kept us moving as a global society in this moment, right? It's, it's, we are having this conversation because of a tech company that's based here in the Bay area, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. Who's being led by, folks who are not the historic or the traditional face of executive leadership, right? Which is the case for most of our institutions uh, that both have been innovative and that have led us across every sector of government and business. 
uh, in these moments. I think uh, to your question about letter grades for our NGOs and where we might be relative to racial justice and equity in general, that we you know, are in, invited to, to ask ourselves, do we reflect in body the vision that we claim. It's it's a it's a great opportunity for mm-hmm. us to to both ask the question but to do something else. Not just ask the question to say, wow, we've asked it and we've done it, but it's like so what? Like, what are we going to do about it? Hmm. I think to do more than simply tokenize uh, both people and or uh, to leverage this moment uh, to have one more book study for <laughs> racial justice, uh, as nice as that, as nice as that might be we're invited to ask a question that we've asked entire like, during this entire pandemic. Hmm. Is it essential? I love that we talk about essential things, essential workers, essential conversation. It's, it's like, that's nice. Is it essential? And the question is directly related to this larger question of, if it is essential, then what are we going to do at the structural level to ensure that we are transformed as as an ungovernment organization, as nations, as states, hmm. as uh, private and corporate sector. Now, I th- thanks for sharing that. You know, I, I think there is a a lot you shared. I think there is uh, a lot for NGOs to think about, but even for everybody, um, a lot of wise words, a lot to, um, I hope the listeners will really let, you know, what you just said sink in and, and, and think in how, what I, what I said, I've often uh, said around my hundred mile walk, you know, trying to walk the talk and not only talk the talk. I think that's crucial. That's exactly. something that you are referring to, right? So, um, yeah, th- thanks for, for pointing um, that out. Um, yeah, the listeners know I have always a lot of questions, but the way, you know, you flow is, is you know, basically you're answering a lot of my, the things that I would have asked. So I would like to go to another question about music, um, which is very dear to me as well, uh, music. Um, I, I'm, if I would ask you to mention a song or a piece of music that embodies, for a big part, what you are about, which song or piece of music would that be? Sure, that's a great question. And I love that you are a music fan. I know that, as am I, I, I play the piano and... Mm. And so I appreciate the gift of being able to be wrapped up in the gift of 
a good melody. And what I love, before I share the name of one piece that's coming to mind, Mm -hmm. is how music moves us. It's difficult to hear good music and not move. Mm -hmm. Your body literally responds, which tells us something about who we are at our core. All of us, that's right. Even you, listener, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you. You know that there's a piece of music uh, that when you hear it, like there's a pep in your step or you, you get a smile on your face. You, you're thinking of that song right now. I know you are. I know you are right now. And, and it, it makes you feel good or, or it, it inspires you to, to, to change, to work for change, to be an agent of change. What I love about good music is that the core of any music is centered on movement. There is no song, there's no melody unless you move. You, you, you can't have a melody unless you move. You have to play some notes. You have to like sing some bars. So built into music, I, I think all music, which is why I'm typically, like I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of it all. Like as a musician, as just someone who listens, I'm a fan of music, period. Part of the reason is because whatever song people might like or whatever piece you're thinking about right now, listener, you know that deep down you can sense a starting point and an ending point. And if you start somewhere, if you've got an ending point, that means you've got to move to the end. So in the, the very baked into the identity, the DNA of what music is, is movement. The song that comes to mind, the, I would say, Kelly Price's uh, God's Gift. Uh, I, I like that song. I'll, I'll lift it today because um, of the words, uh, as well as the melody. Hmm. But it says, like, this one, that one, each one is God's gift to the world. And I think this reminder, as we think about faith, spirituality, and the the fluidity that we're experiencing in these unprecedented times, that's another word, pandemic word, everybody like, you know, unprecedented, unprecedented Mm -hmm. times. And these unprecedented times, there's a deep opportunity to take a look around and recognize that whatever faith tradition, whatever religious experience, whatever spiritual path one might be on, uh, if we are unable to see the good in another, we need to pause and ask ourselves why. 
Why can't I see the good in another? And we need to start there to do the work of turning our judgment into wonder and of making ourselves proximate to other people so that we can see, uh, as the song lyrics go on to say, uh, there are no extra people in a mansion or ghetto from where you start your journey, anywhere you go. So look across the ocean, see those on distant corners or see the one beside you. Look into their eyes long enough and you will know when it goes back, this one. I'm talking about this one. That one. I'm talking about that one. Each one is God's gift to the world. And uh, as I think about my own life, my own advocacy, my own commitments, both to social justice, uh, walking alongside communities whose center of existence is on the margins, whether it be communities of faith, working with youth, young adults, uh, with communities that feel as if they have no place within the bounds of more historic uh, religious institutions. So that is kind of racial ethnic minorities, people who are of minority gender identity or sexual orientation, uh, folks who find themselves uh, undocumented or you name it, pick whatever them, and I'm doing that in quotation, Eric, like mm -hmm. whatever them group you've set aside or whatever them group comes to mind, like they too are God's gift to the world. And so I see part of my work is helping folk know that you all right. Actually, you're better than all right. Hey, you are loved. That's right. Yeah, you podcaster, you are loved. That's right. How, how can you love me? You don't even know me. I'm, I do. You are loved. I'm telling you that right now. And I see Maurice, you can't see him, but he's smiling. He's shaking his head. You are loved. I think that's the work is like mm. helping us know that we are loved. We are lovable. And somebody might say, well, how can you say that? How can you say you love me? You don't know me. Well, folks can hate people without knowing people. So I can love folks without knowing. Right. And I think that gift of seeing the belovedness of others, like that is what moves people to change. That's what fuels the songs that give people hope. That's what the civil rights movement was about, inspiring people through the movement that inevitably was engendered through a song that helped people know that they were somebody, that they were beloved, and that they were worthy of regard, regardless of what the laws said, regardless of what the state said, regardless of what the religious institution said, because, mm -hmm. right, the religious institutions in so many cases were defenders of the state, defenders of unjust laws and an unjust social order. And so I understand uh, that song, God's mm -hmm. Gift, as uh the music piece for this moment that gets me going and gives me a sense of hope. And it's mm. one of the soundtracks that I like to have playing as, as I move uh, through life, move mm. through the world.
Great. And part of the, part of that's because of this. Hmm. I had a congregant share this thought just a few days ago with me. This person said to me, you will never look into the eyes of a person that God does not love. And so if that is true, then how might I leverage this moment to have a renewed vision, vision, vision? And I mean that in every sense, mission, vision, values for companies. I mean that in terms of how you actually see others with your physical sight. And I mean that in terms of your capacity to have an imagination uh, for the ways in which our world can be transformed. Hmm. I... Um, change judgment into wonder. I will definitely th think about that. I, I, I really liked it. Um, normally, I, I end the conversation with thanking my guest, but I would like to thank myself first to um, <laughs> to no to pick you again because you know we we talked during my second walk and then i thought okay shall i invite Theon again for this virtual walk and i'm so happy that i did and and i i am 100 percent sure that the listeners are have enjoyed this this podcast conversation and um you're so thoughtful and so spot on um so i i would like to thank you theon for for your willingness to uh spent this time with uh, with me. We had some challenges uh, from a technical point of view, but I hope the listeners will not um, notice anything uh, about that. Um, so thank you for for uh, yeah for who you are, for what you do, and uh, for sharing your wisdom. Um, yeah, is there, is there any last uh, thought, message, invitation that you would like to share with the listeners or? Good? Well, thank you. Thank you for the question and mm -hmm. for your graciousness, my friend. It's a real joy to have walked again in this virtual manner mm -hmm. with you and with so many other friends, wherever you are around the world. Uh, I hope that you know uh, that as you have been moving uh, during this time, uh, that that is a reminder to you that your life's not done, uh, uh, that uh, faith is still worth having, that hope is still worth fighting for, and that love is indeed a force that has staying power. And so might the gift of the movement of your body, literally, if nothing mm -hmm. else, then you're being mindful now that you've been breathing the entire time we've been talking. Uh, that in itself I'll give you a sense of hope and joy and inspire you to know that within your very being, within your very body, is an internal protest waging um, and lifting a voice against death-dealing forces. And, and that you ought to feel in this moment both encouraged, uh, hopeful, and aware that the best journeys are always taken with a good friend, a few laughs, 
and a sense of hopefulness and optimism uh, that the world that he is is not the only world that can be. And so thank you for journeying with us. And I celebrate the ties that bind us even in this virtual manner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on www.100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.